we're actually going to open up in prayer to begin with. I don't remember if you guys, or I don't know if you guys remember what I did last time. I had all of us stand up, and I'm going to have us do the exact same thing again. And so I always want you guys to be praying with me. I want you to be praying for me, and I want you to be praying for yourselves, that, that I would have the words to say, that you guys would be praying, that you guys have ears to hear, um, that the Spirit would be moving just in the room, in your hearts, through the words that I speak. Um, and, the, and the scripture that I, that I pulled from last time was uh, Colossians 4, uh, 2 through 4, and it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And that's what we want right here. We want the mysteries of who Christ is, that, that the word of God, which is living and active, and that faith comes by the word of God by hearing that, that we would be built up in faith. And so I want us to be praying that his spirit would be speaking to me, through me, and into your hearts and into your ears. So I want us all to rise. And it, st- it says, like, let's start with steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. So like, you guys have things to be thankful for. I mean, if nothing else, that he has seated us in heavenly places. I mean, that's not a big deal or anything. Um, or, or maybe that he's revealed like all things because the spirit searches the depths of Christ and reveals those things to us. Now again, not that that's a big deal either, but like maybe there's a couple things that we could be thankful for of, of what God has done for us. So I want us in this moment right now to be thanking him for things and to be going, Spirit, just now, just come and reveal your presence to us and speak your word right now. So God, I just thank you. I thank you for the things that you have. Thank you so much that you have adopted us as sons and daughters, heirs that we are your children, God, that your spirit is revealing things to us. God, speak to us today. God, we thank you that you have already paid the price for us, that we are new creations, that the old is gone, the new has come. thank you that your spirit reveals the deeper things of who you are to us. That we love because you first loved us, God. Oh God, reveal yourself to us today. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to the things that you want to show us. So I'm going to actually continue on from what I spoke on last time, which I spoke on faith and what um, is the object of our faith. Because if you remember, um, faith, I feel like, and maybe some of you guys would agree, that faith can feel like a very confusing thing, that it can feel very whimsical, it can feel wispy, like you're like grasping for smoke. And like every time you feel like, I think I've got faith, it, it's like it almost like slips through your fingers and it's like, what is faith? And, and we talked last time that faith is aligning our lives with Christ. Like, that Christ is what 
faith is based in. He is the object, he is the hope of our faith. And that <clears throat> sometimes I think we'll get this idea that we need to have multiple faiths. One, faith to become believers, that we, that we came into relationship with Christ by faith. And then another kind of faith, which is a faith of, all right, that he's going to provide for my needs, that, that, uh, that, 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 that I have faith for healing for this person. And it's like, no, there's only one faith. It's always faith in Christ. We have faith that he will be the provider. We have faith that he will be the healer. We have faith that, that he has saved us from our sins, that he has bought us into a new life. So there's only one faith, all right? So that's, that's basically the gist of kind of what I talked about last time. And I kind of want to build on that. I want to talk even more about faith and what faith is and how that looks and what, how do we live into this. And I want to just put one little caveat out there that uh, the, these are all things that God is, um, is working into my life. So I have not obtained the things that I'm about to teach you. Um, I'm still in process. Like, I'm still learning. and I'm still working into these things. And potentially, these things are things that God is working in me. And if you feel like, mm, yeah, I don't like that, maybe you don't need to listen. Maybe you don't. But maybe if there's a little bit of conviction in your heart, maybe it is something that you do need to hear. Maybe it's something that, that God is actually working into you and that it, like, it's truth that you need to hear. So I just want you to be realizing that this is something that God's working in me and I think that it's something he's probably working in you or is wanting to work into you and we need to be co-laborers in this with him. And so I want you to realize that this might not be the easiest message. It might not be the, you might, it might not feel like soft and cuddly. It might not be like uh, rainbows and unicorns on your ears. It might be a little bit tough. But I do think that great growth can come from, and I do think there's a lot of really good things of what does that look like? What does that look like to live in faith? To put everything, like put everything on the line, put all, everything out there, all my cards on the table that I'm going for him. Right? That's what we're, like, that's, like, I want to be a believer that believes fully and wholly and truly and only in him. That's it. Like, that's, that's what it is to be a Christian. And that's what I want. That's what I want to see in our lives. And that's what I want every single one of us as believers here in our body and as believers corporately everywhere, that we are believers who believe in the one and only true God. And that is the only place, that's the only place that we put our faith, that we put it on him, in him, and through him. So I want to start with a quote from uh, the late, great Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he is potentially one of the greatest teachers to ever live. Uh, he's amazing. Anyway, he, you, you listen to, to him teach, he'll do uh, Ephesians 3.1, and he'll have 10 sermons on one verse, and he just new stuff every time. I don't know how he does it. It's incredible. So anyway, quote from him. We can put it this way. The man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not even look at what he hopes to be as a result of his own efforts. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work and rests on that alone. He has ceased to say, ah, yes, I used to commit terrible sins, but I have done this and that. He stops saying that. If he goes on saying that, he has got no faith. Faith speaks in an entirely different manner and makes a man say, yes, I have sinned grievously. I have lived a life of sin, yet 
I know that I'm a child of God because I am not resting on my righteousness of my own. I'm, my righteousness is in Jesus Christ, and God has put that to my account. So that is the basis of our faith, that it's all his righteousness. It's not, it has nothing to do with my effort. It has nothing to do with anything that I do. It's 100% faith in him. And I think we get that, but the, the living that out sometimes takes a little bit of work. So faith isn't something that's wispy. It's not something that's like trying to, like super whimsical, that faith is based in Christ. So our faith is solely in him. Faith is living into what Christ has already done. That's the life of faith, is living into what he has already done. Faith is established in and works through Christ's love for us. Faith is living into his life by his spirit. When faith is lived out and where you actually united with him, when we actually live out in that united manner, it changes everything. Because we're actually uniting, like faith, the only way that faith is actually working is when we unite ourselves with him. Because if we're not uniting ourselves with him, if we don't see ourselves as new creations, if we don't see ourselves as being the ones who are like, I am now not myself, I am fully and 100% changed into the person that he is making me into. I'm not saying that I fully received the, the glorified body. I'm not saying that I don't have times that I fall back into sin. I'm saying that I'm uniting myself fully with him. I'm identifying myself as a new creation, that the old is gone, the new has come, and I'm living out out with my mind set on who he is and who I am in him. Do you understand that? I think we get it. It's the living it out that's the tricky part, right? So faith becomes living by the Spirit, and living by the Spirit is walking in faith. So Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. So there's this thing of something that's not seen. And Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, we walk by faith and not by sight. So there's this thing of what our eyes see and there's this thing of faith that, we, that those things don't always go together. That the things that our eyes see actually have a twisted perspective that we, we like to go after the things that we desire. We go after the things that, that our eyes, that catches our eyes, whether it's, you know, the gold, like something that go, like precious treasures of this world. Whether it's the, as, you know, in First John, it's like the, the desires of the flesh, the, the passions, the, the lust, the, the pride of life, all of these things are the things that catches our attention. But then we have Jesus come on the scene, and in Matthew 5, he's like, you say these things, but I say these things, right? So he, he's like, you say, you know, do not murder. But I say, if you so much as think a hateful thought about a person, you have already killed the person. It's like, wait a minute. So God has a different perspective on things than we have, right? So he, he, he takes an entire chapter, basically, of going, you say this, and I say this. You say this, but I say this. You say this, and I say this. So we need to realign our eyes to see the things that he sees so that we can actually walk into the light of what he's calling us into because like, the things that we say need to realign with the things that he says. We need to, it's repentance is what it is. It's coming into alignment with, with who he is. We need to come into that life of repentance and walk out what his these are the things that he says. I don't even care what I say. I want to say the things that he says. I just want to do the things that the Father does, and those are the things that come out of me. 
And we know, we know that we have a different perspective. I mean, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, and God looks at the heart, the inward parts, right? So we know that there's a difference in perspective on these things, that, that we do look at the things that are so visible by our eyes, but he looks at the, other th- the things that are inside, the things that really make up a human being. The trouble becomes when we act on what we see instead of what God sees. And we know this even from the very beginning. From Genesis, we have Genesis 1. God creates the heavens and the earth, and he says, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he goes, all right, humans, here's the deal. This is what you guys are up to on this earth. You guys are going to do all of this ruling and reigning. You guys are going to, you know, subdue the earth. You're going to cultivate. You're going to multiply, be fruitful and multiply, and do all of these things. This is what you're called to do. But one thing is... There's these two trees. You can eat of one of them, but you can't eat of the other one because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That's what God sees, right? He sees everything is good. He sees this is the plan. This is the way things are supposed to work out. And humans are like, oh, dang, that tree looks good. <laughs> I like that fruit over there. And I see it. I desire it. I take it. And what happens? destruction, death comes into the world. We pay for the consequences of what we have seen. It's not what we've seen, but what we've seen, desired, and taken. Those are the things that change. It's when we decide we're going to not just see it. Like, we can see these things, but we can keep our, we can go, all right, I've seen it, but no, that's not what God sees. I want to realign myself with what God sees. So we see this thing, same thing played out over and over and over again. We see Adam and Eve do it. We see Abraham and Sarah. They know that there's this promise that they're going to be a great nation, right? They're going to be this great nation. And they're like, this is the promise that we're supposed to be a great nation. And Sarah can't conceive what is going on. Oh, we see Hagar. We desire to have this promise fulfilled. Let's take her. We'll fulfill the promise by ourselves. What happens? Ah, oh, creates more destruction, right? Ah, what is going on? We got Aaron, you know, Moses up on the mountain. Aaron is, is down with the people, and all the people are like, what's going on? I think that God must have killed him up there. Like, let, like, what are we even doing here? And Aaron's like, all right, I've seen this gold. Let's take that gold. I'm going to build you something. They desire something other than God. And he's like, tell you what, I'll just make you a God. I've seen this. I'm taking it. I'm making this into something else for you to worship. Come on. Like, again, we've already seen it played out. We know what's going to happen. Achan, whenever they take take the land, Achan's like, oh, I see the gold. I desire it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to bury it. He dies. The people of Israel are like, hey, all these other nations, they have these great kings. It's so great. Everybody loves a good old king, don't they? So, ah, I see Saul. He's a head taller than everybody. He's a little bit easier to see because he's taller. So, I desire to have a king. Let's take him. Let's make him king. Oh, great. Again. It just is like this whole thing over and over. David's standing up on his castle, and he looks out, and he sees Bathsheba. He desires her. He takes her. I mean, this is the portrait over and over and over. It's from the very beginning. It's Genesis, you know, 3, when they take the fruit. It's the, the Holy Spirit's going, do you see? This is what happens when you live by sight and not by faith. And then we come to the New Testament. We got Jesus. You know, he's pretty great. He does things a little bit different than everybody else. We get to the end of his life. Jesus is in a garden. 
Where were Adam and Eve when, uh, when they ate of the fruit? They were in a garden. Okay, cool. That's interesting. They lose access to the tree of life and bring death into the world. Jesus dies on a tree and brings life into the world. Whereas Adam and Eve knew what God had said, they saw that the tree, and they saw its fruit, and they saw that it was desirable, and they took it, and they ate of it, and they brought all these consequences. Jesus knows what the fruit of this tree that he is going to have to partake of. He knows what that, that's going to provide in him. It's going to bring, it's, it will bring life at some point. But in the meantime, it's going to bring pain and destruction and separation and death. And what is his response instead of going, I see it, I desire it, I take it, I want this. He goes, I see it. To be honest, I don't desire it. I do desire the results of what it brings, what you'll actually bring out of this. But let me tell you what, it's not my will. It's not my desire. It's your will. Let me realign with the things that you want. That, and he's going, hey, come into my life. You, come into my life. Walk out. I beat the system. I actually overcame. I actually did what I called you to do from the very beginning, where you align with my sight. It's not by what you see and what you desire and what you take. It's what you see and what he desires. You come in line with the things that he desires, and that's walking out faith. That's actually living into the life that he's already accomplished for us. So he came to be what we are so that we could become what he is. That's the whole thing. It's not that we're these terrible sinners that, oh, I'm just going to always just be this wretched person. It's like, no, he saw the worth of who you were. He decided, you know what? I want my sons and daughters back. I don't want to have these people who aren't living into the life that they were called to. I want my sons and daughters back. I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem them. He paid a price and we still go, I don't, I just feel like I, I'm just such a wretched sinner. And he's already paid the price. We are justified. We are made right. We're made new. We're, we're actually coming in like, faith is walking in the justification of what he's already done. See, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our minds need to be set in a place that goes, I am made new. He has already paid the price. There's nothing that I can do to work myself up to become better. Just because we sin, that doesn't make us to be, that, that doesn't make us just sinners that all, like, it's things that are trying to come back into our lives because we're new creations. Do you get it? We actually realign with the things that he has called us to live into. We come into unity with who he is. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I didn't come to, to, to abolish the law. I actually came to fulfill it. That, this is the whole thing in the, in the um, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and he's got, he's got the Beatitudes, and then he goes, you know, these are the things I say, these are the things that you say, these are the things I say, these are the things that you say. And he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I actually came to fulfill it. Uh, so all of these things that I'm saying that you have to do to actually be righteous, you can't actually do. You can't do these things. Like, try not to have any hateful thought because that, that's murder. Try not to have any lustful thought because that's adultery. And he's like, I didn't come to abolish those things. I came to fulfill them. 
You actually have to live into these things, but not by your own strength, not by your own might. It's actually the spirit of God that lives in you, that he's already justified you, brings you in line with who he is and says, yeah, you've been made right. Live it out. Live out the way that I see you. Live out the way that you're called to live. He is growing us into the image of his son. Sometimes it takes extra time, not because of how he is working, but because we aren't aligning with the truth. Sometimes that's why it takes so much time, is because we've decided we'd rather live by what we see than actually realign our lives with the truth of his word. We aren't bringing our lives into submission of his kingdom. We aren't living in the life that he has, been, he has given to us. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Adopted as sons and daughters. Receiving an inheritance from God himself. Revealing the mysteries of, of the ages through Christ. Sent, he sent his spirit to give us life and power. That's, like this, that's straight scripture. That's Ephesians 1. He's saying that about us. That he has seated us in heavenly places. That he has adopted us as sons and daughters that every spiritual blessing in heavenly places has been given to us. And we're more consumed with our sin than we are just aligning our lives with the righteousness of Christ that's already been given. It's like we're waiting for it to be given. It's been given. Walk into it. I'm not stopping you. Like, I want you to do it. I want me to do it. Ephesians 1.18 says that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. So, okay, here's the deal. So we have these eyes, these physical eyes, and those are the things that see things. Those are the thing, things that see the tree and then go, hey, I like this fruit. I want this. I desire it. I'm going to take it. And Paul's going, hey, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. The eyes that actually see the things that God sees, I want that. The inner things, those are the things that I want to have realigned. Those are the things that I want to have the Spirit leading you into. And uh, Ephesians 3.16 says, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So I actually need the Spirit of God to come into me to strengthen me. I can't stand on my own. I can't, like, it's never anything that I can do. It's always his work. It's always, what did I say from the beginning? It's faith, one faith. It's faith in him. It's what he's already accomplished. We don't have to achieve anything. We can, we can step into grace. We can walk into his finished work by living into his life. We can step into grace and start where his work finished. Where he finished stuff is where we jump into. Like he reunites us and he goes, jump in. The water's great. I'm inviting you into this whole thing. Like, yeah, but I'm so weak. Yeah, that's great. My strength is manifested in your weakness. Faith is based in the truth of who Christ is and what he has already accomplished. Faith is aligning our lives with the truth of who Christ is. Not by my feelings. Sometimes I feel things. I wake up and I'm like, man, this isn't a good day. Or I can't believe this person did this, these things to me. So my emotions and my desires, they get in the way. And it's like, no, that's not faith. That's, I need to realign my life with who Christ is. So Jesus is, in, uh, in Matthew and Mark, we have two, two stories of Jesus being in a boat. He's asleep in, in the belly of the boat, and there's a big storm going on. And the waves are going crazy, the wind is blowing, and the disciples are in the boat, and they're trying to do everything they, they can to, to keep the boat afloat. And Jesus is just down there snoozing, and they're like, Master, do you not care? that we are about to die. Jesus is like, just a second, storm's really loud. I gotta, calm down, 
quiet. Sorry. What were you saying? Did you say something to me? <laughs> oh my goodness. This man is like no other man. This man is like no other man that we have ever seen. And, he's, and they're asking, Master, do you not care? Do you not care that we're about to die? That's the question that they ask. They're so concerned about themselves. That, and, he's, and his response to them is like, where is your faith? Do you not have faith? Do you not have, like, have you not seen the other things that have already happened? Where is your faith? I'm asleep because I'm perfectly at rest. I have no concern. I'm not concerned of what's about to happen. But don't we ask the same questions? Don't you love me? How could you let this happen? If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You could step in at any time and change all of this. We end up asking Jesus if he loves us instead of asking ourselves, do we actually love him for who he is or only for what he does for us? Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't like that question for myself either. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to ask that one out loud. So the first way that we actually have to see through his eyes is to see that he actually loves us. Like that is where our sight begins, that we have to realign our lives with the fact that he actually loves us. 1 John 3.16 says, uh, says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. 1 John 4.9-10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. We have to be established in the love of God to see through his eyes. We can't determine his love based on our situations, based on our feelings, our emotions, or what other people say. It just can't be based in that. It has to be based in the truth of what his word says. We can't determine his love based on if our spouse lives or if our spouse dies. It can't be based on if our child lives or if our child dies. Whether or not our spouse lives or dies doesn't change the love of God. Do we realize that? The measuring stick of God's love is based on what has already happened. It isn't based on who lives and dies. It's based on the fact that his son actually died. That's what his love is based on. That he brought a new life into you. His death is the exclamation point on his love saying, I love you for all eternity. There's nothing that's going to separate you. I don't care if somebody dies or somebody lives. I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't care what your emotions are. I don't care right now whether you love me. I love you. I don't care if you sin. I've already paid for it. Repent, come back in line, and live in the life that I've called you to live into. So again, the first way that we have to see through God's perspective is how he sees us. We have to be so sure of his love for us. That, so faith works through love. That's Galatians 5, 6. If you aren't sure of his love for you, if you aren't established in his love for and towards you, your faith doesn't realize. It's a whimsical hope. It's something that has no substance or, or thing to anchor itself on. Without the establishment of love, his love for us, it's fractured at best. 
Like our faith is fractured at best. It, it, it can't stand if, we don't, if we're not convinced that he loves us. Because what happens is if we, if we aren't confident in his love for us and we say, I put my faith in him and, you could, and, and, and I, don't, I don't trust him, and I think to myself, I'm not sure that he has the best interests, my best interests in mind. He could kick this chair out at any moment. And I'm saying, I put my faith in him? Wait a second. I'm putting my faith in somebody that I don't trust? Pfft. Is that faith? No. But how many times do we think that's faith? That I'm going to put my faith in you, but I'm not 100% sure that you love me. I'm not 100% sure that you actually have my best interests in mind. I'm not 100% sure that you're actually for me. Am I for you? I hung my son on a cross. I've seated you in heavenly places. I put my spirit into you. I've given you new life. Am I for you? What are you wanting from me? I, I killed myself so I could get you back. We're concerned that we don't we're, we're not, we don't know that he loves us, and we're concerned that he could kick the chair out from under us at any time. We think all, anything that bad that happens must have come from him. He must have done this. He could have stopped it, so he allowed it. Who's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Was that God? Yeah, that was God, right? He was the one that came to steal, kill, kill and destroy. No! Where did our mind get twisted? Where did it get mixed thinking? Where did we start thinking that all of the bad came from him? Is he the one that loves you unconditionally? Oh, let, oh, you guys were so quick to answer it was Satan a second ago, but you're not quick to answer on whether God loves you unconditionally. Oh, yeah. All right. We have to be so sure. This is the only way that we live, is that we know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves us. Otherwise, when we, put our, we say we put our faith in him and we don't trust him, what is it? So then is it faith? We need to know that the love of God is so strong that nothing can separate us from him. When we don't trust his love, then how are we putting our faith in him? We end up being run by our cares of life, the thorns that climb up and strangle the seed, right? The parable of the sower. Like all these seeds are put out and we get so distracted by the cares of this world that we end up being squished out. We end up being squeezed out by the thorns, the cares of this life that come up and, and strangle us. When love is in question, then faith is shattered. When we, when we begin walking by sight, taking from the tree and eating the lives of, lies of the enemy, we start by living by needs, by worries, by fears, anxieties, by our own self-desires and fulfillment. We use the Bible as an answer book instead of actually going to the one who is the answer. We look for a promise, we hold on to a promise instead of actually going, who is the one who promised? Who is the one who is faithful? We reduce the Bible to a book of principles for help instead of actually knowing who the helper is. Like, come on, like, the, the Bible isn't just there for us to read and look. I need an answer right now. I need a principle to live by. I need a promise to hold on to. I know the one who actually made the promise. I know the one who actually is the answer. That's who I want to hold on to.
when we reduce him to these type of things, we reduce him to a genie in a bottle. That, let me rub that bottle, let me get him out when I need him, right now, quick, quick, quick. We make him a guru that we can come to and ask for advice. All right, I got this big situation going on, I need some advice, God, help me out. Do we love him? Because we love because he first loved us. We need to be come in line with the love of who Christ is for us so that we can live out what he's done for us. If you're driven by sensuality, you're living without the authority of God in your life. If you're living with fear and worries and anxiety, you're living by sight and not by faith. That's why Jesus can sleep in the boat. He's got no fear. He's got no anxiety. He's got no worries. He knows that his father will always take care of him. The storm comes and he's just like, hold on a minute, let me, let me calm this down. My father's got this under control. Whether it was a big storm or whether there wasn't a big storm, it wasn't the issue. He settled it down so that he could talk to the disciples. He wasn't concerned either way. And that's the way we're supposed to live. If big storms come up, and they will, are we anxious? Are we worried? Are we living out of fear? Are we driven by these passions and emotions and, and the feelings of our own hearts? Or are we actually recoming in line with what the truth of God says, that he's always faithful, that he's always there, that he's always the one who's provided. He's always been the one who's promised and, and been faithful to every promise. He's never lied. He's always loved you, and he'll always be there for you. Are we coming in line with that truth? He died to set us free from the cares of this world and to give us new life. And we need to actually live into this new life. And it's not like, all right, now I've got to work it up. I've got to live into this new life. No, it's the spirit of Christ that actually comes into us. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and gives me new life to live out. So either way, it's still not me working. It's me just being transformed by the renewing of my mind, that my mind is now more dwelt on spiritual things of truth. Think on these things, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is of good repute. Think on the thing, like set your mind on in heavenly places. Let, like, that, let that be where you put your faith. Let that be put where you put your mind so that you can be transformed and actually walk out what you're supposed to be walking out. Right actions, where do those come from? They come from right thinking. So right thinking is actually the, the thing that, that is the preemption for right actions. If you want to act right, get your thinking right. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can actually act right. When we make it about us, we miss out on, on who we are supposed to be. We miss out on who we are designed to live for and by and through. We make a formula about how things are supposed to work and we make it about methods and, and we make it about us. And so... The next, I think, four things, five things that I'm about to say are all going to be things that we know are important. Prayer, fasting, worship, um, and a couple more. Um, all of these things we know are super important, but we've, we need to have our minds changed. We need to think about these things rightly, and we need to actually live into these things through his eyes, not through our eyes. We need to be living through his eyes in the way that he sees things. So the first one, prayer. Oftentimes, we pray from need, want, desire, fear, worry, or anxiety. Now, I didn't say we always do that. I said oftentimes. So, later when you're like, Stephen, we don't always do that. I know, I said that. <laughs> I said often, not always. Often, we pray from need, want, desire, fear, worry, or anxiety. 
I pray to fill the needs that I have, that, I, that these things, that, that, the, that the areas of my life that I feel like that are lacking, that, that make me uncomfortable, those are the things that I want prayer for. I, don't, I pray because I'm fearful of this thing happening, so God, please help this not to happen. God, I'm really anxious about this. I'm coming to you right now. God, I have all this worry in my heart. I'm coming to you right now. It's like, do we need more prayer or do we need to realign our lives with truth? I'm not saying don't pray. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes we just need to have our minds transformed. We just need to realign our lives with truth. We don't need to, to be praying. And again, I'm not saying not to pray. I'm just saying sometimes all it is is let's realign and maybe we come to God and go, God, help me realign my life with truth. Realign my mind with truth. I'm feeling worry right now. I'm feeling anxious right now. I'm feeling fear right now. I feel like I'm being run by emotions and, and feelings and, and all of this and, and, and I don't know what's going on. God, I need, I need truth. I need truth in my eyes. I need truth. I need the eyes of my heart to be enlightened so that I can see these things. See, I fear that we're going to get to the new heavens and the new earth and we're going to have spent so much time praying for needs and praying for wants and desires and from, from fears that when we actually get to his presence, that we're going to be like, oh my gosh, who are you? We're not going to know and be known by him. Isn't that the heart's cry of prayer is to know and be known? Not just, hey, I need more things. I feel a little uncomfortable. I need this and that. I, I. It's to know and be known. It's to actually be in relationship. It's actually to pray from a heart that's like, God, you are my father. I am your son. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Thank you so much that you brought me back. Woo! Can we get excited? Like, we're talking to the God of the entire universe who bought us back. A little excitement, a little joy should potentially be there. Amen. That we would ask for, God, you would give me a revelation of your beauty, of who you are. Like, sometimes I think when we pray, we'll be praying for, um, for different things than, than maybe what we should pray for. Like, instead of, um, like, we'll pray for the circumstances to change as opposed to, God, instead of actually... Um, instead of actually maybe changing my circumstances and me uh, being a person who, who quickly tries to change and, and get out of these type of things, what if you're actually building me in faith right now? What if it actually takes endurance, the testing of my faith, the testing of me actually builds this in me and I'm praying to get out of it. And he's like, why? I want you to be more mature. I want you to be ready for the next test. God, get me out of it right now. I'm not ready. I still like my binky. <laughs> I still like my binky. <laughs> and he's like, no, get out of the diapers. You're growing up. I want you to be mature. I want you to grow up. I want you to actually like live into maturity, to actually live out faith. So what if instead of praying to get out of these circumstances, God, grow me up. Mature me. Build me in faith. The New Testament, you know, in Acts, they're in jail, and then they get out of jail, and they're like, God, more boldness. I want more boldness. More boldness? You just got put in jail. How much more boldness did you need? <laughs> and he's like, we want more. We want more boldness. 
<laughs> like the things that they pray for are so different. God, just like build me up, grow me into these things. God, that you would reveal these things to us, that we would know greater depths. And Paul, when he's writing, he's like, that you would know the greatness of who God is, the fullness, that you would know his love that surpasses all understanding, that these would be the things that you know. And we're going, God, I have this really bad circumstance. And not, not to pray for those things. I'm not telling you not to. I'm saying, but what if we change the way we prayed? What if we're actually praying for and from the things that he's already done for us and realigning our lives with that and actually having a relationship instead of need and wants and desires and fulfillment through the things that are sensual, the things that make me feel better, but I'm not growing. What if we just change the way we prayed? Does that make sense? Okay. I told you this was going to be a sermon you guys might not like. <laughs> so the next one is, the next one is worship. Uh-oh. Worship. So it becomes about how it was. How was worship? Did I feel it? Did it feel good? Did I like it? Did I not like it? Was the songs good? Were they fast-paced? Were they upbeat? Why do we worship? Because he is worthy, right? We worship because he alone in all creation is worthy. Doesn't matter how it feels. It's great when it feels good. I like it. But it doesn't matter. If it's all about his worthiness, it's not about me and how I feel. Worship requires a response on our side. And I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. Worship actually requires, it requires, I mean, I wish I had a dictionary up here. Requires, it, it has to have something. It requires something. It requires what? A response. Worship requires a response. So when I was in Wisconsin, up at the school up there, I had one of the teachers, and he wasn't specifically talking to me, he was talking to the whole group, and he goes, all right guys, when we worship, there's a lot of you guys who are just sitting there, or standing there, and maybe not even singing, maybe some of you are singing, and you would say, all right, this, this is where I'm at. This is how I feel today. This is like, that's as much as I can give. And he's like, but what about the response to a king who rules over everything and has bought you back? What kind of a response would that pull from you? What kind of a response? Would it be dancing potentially? Uh, maybe not. That'd be, whew, that might be risky. Could it be jumping up and down? Could it be clapping hands? Could it be just shouting out in pure joy and adoration? Could that potentially be what happens in worship? That I might look silly in front of you guys, but I don't really care because it's not the fear of man, it's the fear of God. I fear him far more than I fear you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so he said, the, the, the teacher of Wisconsin, because... Because somebody was like, yeah, but if I don't feel that way, isn't it just hypocritical for me to start dancing and jumping? And he's like, wait a minute, let me, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you know that he's worthy of it all? Do you know that he is the king of the entire universe? Do you know that he has bought you back? Do you know 
that he loves you unconditionally? Do you know that his life has, has been given to you so that you have new life? Well, yeah. Okay, so which is more hypocritical? To know the truth and not respond? Or not respond because my feelings tell me I don't want to respond? Whew. It's far more hypocritical to know the truth and not be dancing, not be responding, not be bowed down on our faces. And I'm not telling you this is the only way to do it. I'm saying whatever the Spirit is leading you into, based not on your feelings but on the truth of God, respond that way. I'm not going to judge you for sitting if that's what the Spirit is telling you to do. If he's going, right now, you're going through some stuff and I just need to minister to your heart. That can happen. All I'm saying is worship requires a response. And if we know the truth of who he is and we are choosing because of how I feel not to respond, we're not walking in faith. We're walking by what we see. Faith works through love and I'm not actually letting the love of God transform the way that I live. <laughs> All right, next one, fasting. So fasting, uh, fasting becomes oftentimes a way that we want to get breakthrough, a way that we are like, all right, I need a really good amount of wisdom right now to make this decision. I'm going to go on a fast. And although those things might happen from a fast, what does Jesus say about fasting? In Luke 5, somebody comes up to him and he's like, hey, the disciples of John, they fast all the time. My, your disciples, they don't fast. What's up with that? He's like, well, the bridegroom is here. <laughs> I'm here right now. They don't need to fast. I'm around them. So that's not the thing. He's like, but when the bridegroom is gone, they will be fasting. And then he goes into this uh, thing where he starts talking about um, not putting an old patch on a new garment. He's like, I'm making them into new people. Don't be taking the works of your life and trying to put it on, onto it. Don't be fasting trying to go, I'm going to work. I'm going to make a work of this and I'm going to try to do it. He's like, no, fasting is all about becoming uh, with a greater gaze on who he is. It's always about him, knowing him more, having a greater revelation of who he is, knowing his beauty and actually walking out that. Fa fasting is based on him. It's the bridegroom. They don't fast because the bridegroom is here. They will fast when he's gone because we want him. We want him so bad. That's why we're fasting. And sure, breakthrough happens from fasting. Why? Because I was seeking the one who brings the breakthrough. Wisdom comes through fasting oftentimes because I'm seeking the one who brings the wisdom, who is wisdom in and of himself. That's where fasting, fasting is oriented towards him. It's not to, it's not to, to just, um, to, to, to make my own breakthrough that he's, like, he's going to really like this. I'm going to put him in a headlock, and until he, he gives in, I'm going to just keep fasting, and he's going to have to give in. What in the world? What kind of fasting is that? It's like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting God in a headlock telling him this is, like, I'm going to keep doing this until I get my breakthrough. no. That's not fasting. Fasting is oriented to know who he is more. It's about knowing and being known through him and by him and actually living out that way. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. 
for like, it's like, I think one person said yes. It's like, man, I'm just going to sit down and stop talking. All right. Uh, the next one is scripture. So wh- what did we talk about already? We talked about prayer. We talked about worship. We talked about fasting. So this one, scripture. Again, all of these ways are ways that we need to realign our sight with truth and to walk out faith by aligning our lives with this. Not what we see, but what he's already done and who he is. We walk by faith, not by sight. So scripture becomes, oftentimes, our time to get our daily fix. My daily shot in the arm to help me make it through in search of something applicable for the current situation, um, a search for a promise. I need these type of things. But we've forgotten the scripture is the place where Jesus is present, right? Jesus is the word. So like when we actually spend time in scripture, it's not to get a promise, not to find something that's applicable. It's not to be, I need this time to get a great answer. And sure, a great answer can come from reading scripture. You can get something super applicable. You can get something that transforms your life. But when you're reading, you're actually spending time with the tangible written word of who God is. We get to find out what his emotions are, what his feelings, what his heart is, how he lives, how he acts, the things that he does through his people, his faithfulness from generation to generation. We get to see his heart for his people by reading scripture. We don't necessarily need something more applicable. We need to be transformed by the things that he is actually telling us through his life, through his word. In in 2 Corinthians 3, um, it says that we are living epistles with the messages written on our hearts. So as it were, we are words that are written and are living flesh. We are the word made flesh. So we aren't just reading scripture to know scripture or to know about God, but we're actually reading scripture to become just in his nature. We're we're reading to be the word made flesh, to become unified with who he is, that we don't just know it, but we become the words. Does that make sense? We're transformed into his image by actually spending time in his presence, in his word. (coughs) All right, last point, giving. So we like to think of giving, not always, but oftentimes, again, often was the word that I used, oftentimes as a way to receive. We'll be like, I can give because God will give back. That's great. That happens sometimes. He does do that. But that's a bit of an exploitation. We're exploiting his, genera- his generosity. That's not the heart of his giving. He gives because he loves. He gives because he sees the worth of who we are. And he goes, I want you back. I want all of you. I'm going to give everything I have. And I'm even going to leave it up to you to decide, are you coming after me or are you not coming after me? And we're giving going, all right, if I give this much, I think he says something about like tenfold back or hundredfold. I, how, let me do a calculator. Where's my calculator? Let me figure out this out. I should probably, tax returns, I should probably be like, no, like that's, like that's silly. Like, no, be a cheerful giver because all we're doing is we're mirroring what he did. He already gave so that we can give. We're not giving to get. We're not giving to exploit who he is and what he's done. We're giving because we're just mirroring him. And we give from a cheerful heart. If we're giving not from a cheerful heart, I'm not sure what we're doing. 
Like, I'd almost rather we just keep our money than give it without, and like, the elders might not like that, so like, you should probably just give, but, um, but I would rather give from a cheerful heart than, not a, than a heart that's not cheerful. Like, what are we doing with that money? It's a small way, a very small way, to do exactly what he's doing. How crazy is it that, that God says that we can take these pieces of paper, we can give them, and he actually will give back. That we can use monetary substances and he will actually give us spiritual blessings. That's wild. Like, that's just wild, that we can use monetary things and he'll actually do great things with it and for us. But that's not the heart behind what we're doing. We're doing it because we're mirroring what he's already done for us. So those are, the, those are the main things that I want us to get is having transformed views of how we actually live, how we walk out prayer, how we walk out fasting, how we walk out worship, how we walk out um, reading scripture, and how we walk out giving. These are all ways that we can walk by faith and not by sight. So these are all ways that we can actually enter into what his presence, what he's already unified us into, that we are actually walking by faith. We're not walking by, by sight and that faith works through love and that we are so captivated by his love for us that that is what actually comes out of our lives, that we know and that we have put our faith in him because we know that he loves us. He's not here to kick that chair out. He's not here to, to destroy things. He's actually here to put the best into us, to grow us up into maturity. And that's what we need to do. We need to be so rooted and grounded in love that that's what we actually walk out. Um, let's, real quick, we're almost done, um, jump into Ephesians. Um. Mm. So Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with his power. So he's going to grant us to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, that that is where we start, that is we are rooted and grounded in love. That's the beginning, that everything comes from where we are rooted, where we are set in place, where we know the love of God, where we are rooted and grounded in love, that may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's crazy, the fullness of God, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. It's like, Paul, what are you even talking about? And he's like, I know. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than I can ever ask or imagine, like he's like, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. All I know is it's, it's amazing. It's far more than I can ask or imagine. Now to him who can do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think, according to the power at work within us, so the power is already at work within us, to him be the glory to the church and, uh, church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what I don't want you to take away from this is going, oh no, do I not have faith because I question the love of God? No. Paul's saying, be rooted and grounded in this love. If you're questioning, God, do you love me? That's a place that we need to sit down for a moment and go, God, I need to know that you do. I need you to show me. I need to not be a person that's based all of my life on sensuality. I'm not basing it on how I feel, what somebody said to me, what my circumstances are showing, whether or not my spouse lives or dies, whether or not my child lives or dies. 
but I'm basing everything off of your love for me. And if I don't live that way currently, if I am questioning whether or not you love me, God, this is on you. It's your spirit at work within me that has to be showing me these things. I need you to be doing your work. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to keep coming back to you. I'm going to be taking that time in prayer, and I'm actually not going to be, I'm not asking for all my wants and my needs and my desires. I want you to reveal yourself to me. If you seek him with all of your heart, he will be found by you. He wants to be found by you. He wants to reveal himself to you. So don't walk out of here going, oh, yep, Stephen just made me question my faith because I don't know that God really loves me. No, what, like your heart, if you actually feel that conviction, that's a really good sign. That's a sign that there actually is change in you. That you're like, oh, Maybe there is something that I should be realigning with. And if you feel that, like, maybe I'm not quite there, that's really good because that means your heart's in a good place to actually realign. Not because you're in a place that goes, Ugh, I'm so terrible, I might as well just walk away now. I thought I was doing good. No, that conviction says, oh, there's more. Oh, there's more that I can live into. There's a greater revelation of this. So it's not a walking out of here going, I now question everything. It's, Conviction in me says, God, reveal. God, you're at work. God, I need you to do these things. I need you to show me, and I need you to strengthen me in my inner man. I need you to be rooted and grounded in who you are and your work in me. Okay. Does anybody have any questions? And I'm not like looking like, let's have a Q&R time where I'm going to give responses, but I don't want you to leave here questioning where you are. I want you to know that that is God's heart for you. That this is, like, this may have been a hard message, but it's not a message to keep you, or push you down, or make you question, or go, well, I, knew, I was wondering whether I was a believer or not. No, I don't really know. So, like, are you guys with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you have questions from that? <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so no one's going to walk out of here feeling condemned because condemnation is from the enemy. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is good. It means my heart's in a good place to come read back in line. Condemnation is not good. That's from the enemy. So you're not walking out of here condemned, right? There's life in the Spirit. And he wants you to realign and come in line with all the things of who he is and the things that he has for us. Okay, I'm just really nervous. <laughs> Okay, all right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> I'm still nervous. I don't know that you guys are really telling me the truth right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, have faith in the things that I don't see. I got it, got it, got it, thank you. Message preached back to me. <laughs> Father, I just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you do reveal the deeper things of your spirit to us, that, that you actually search the deep things of your spirit, that you, deep, uh, re, you search the deep things of your heart and go, I want to show my people this. I want them to know my heart for them. I want them to know my love for them. I want them to know my heart and my feelings for them. I want them to know that I've acted on their behalf time and time and time again, God. And that without doubt, you do love us. God, that you would grow us up, that you would root us in your love, that we would be rooted and grounded in who you are and what you've done, and that your love is the foundation that we base everything off of, that we love because you first loved us, that that has to be where we start. And we need 
your spirit to be at work within us, to show us, to, li- to help us to live this out, that we wouldn't be bucking um, maturity, that we would be actually walking into maturity, that we would actually be growing up into all things who is Christ the head. Yeah. Yeah, I just thank you, God, for your goodness and that you are faithful t- to accomplish everything that you've set forth before us. And that you would help us to respond appropriately to who you are. Your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your grace, your mercy. That we would walk out as children who have been adopted to the King of Kings. That we have been seated in heavenly places. And that you are transforming our minds to actually walk these things out. And that we wouldn't walk by, fa- we wouldn't walk by sight, but we would walk by faith, God and that our faith would be wholly, solely, and only directed to you and your work, and us aligning with it. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.